0: Welcome to the Headley May podcast, and today I'm joined by Nigel Boardman of Slaughter of May to discuss the topic of what makes a great General Counsel. Well, Nigel, welcome, and many thanks indeed for uh, agreeing to speak with us, and to share with us your views on a topic which I think you have a very interesting perspective, obviously having worked with a number of General Counsel over many years. Thank you. It's very
1: interesting, and it's a topic that I enjoy thinking about. When I sat down to prepare for this, I spoke to a few of my colleagues and friends and asked them what they thought made a great general counsel. And I got back some interesting answers. And one of them said it's how they manage internally. For example, do they put in a charge-out rate, or do they not charge out the services of the legal function? Do you centralise, or do you put it in business units? But I think that's wrong. I don't think that's what makes a great general counsel. What makes you a great general counsel, you can see when you look at people who are or have been great general counsel. And I'll just give two examples Michael Lester, who was on the board at first of all GEC and then BAE Systems, or Steve Williams at Unilever, who's coming to the end of his career there but has been a great general counsel to Unilever. And that is being a great advisor the same as an external advisor. What makes you good in private practice makes you at the top level also good in-house. And uh, I think that's now generally recognised by the market. And Nick, you'd be better placed than me to comment on how that's reflected in remuneration these days. Yeah, and I think
0: that's that's a very good point. If you look at the top of equity of the magic circle, we do see... General counsel in the leading FTSE companies, so the FTSE 20, whose packages, including base salary, bonuses, LTIP, and so on, are very much in touching distance of the magic Circle. And then you know, by the time you get to the FTSE 50, FTSE 100, again, general counsel packages very similar to what you might find in the UK mid market. And of course, that's a very significant shift that's happened over the past certainly decade.
1: And And it's also gone with a change in status in that previously, if there was an in-house lawyer, he was probably company secretary, he was expected to make sure the minutes were kept properly, and that you filed the correct forms, but he wasn't expected to be a valued contributor to business discussions. and I would say that has now changed, and that most general counsel will have an input into the management executive committees even if they're not a regular member of them. so How do you get to that position? And I look at this as a business pyramid where you have to start your career by moving to being a technically competent lawyer. That is, you know your law, but you don't necessarily know how to apply it in a way which adds value to a client. And as you move from that, you do move to being a value-added competent lawyer, still technically based Still providing technically based solutions but moving on to finding those solutions and not just spotting the problems or knowing the law in abstract and from that the next step up the pyramid is to business added value you not only know what a warranty is and why it's there but you also know whether it's relevant to your business and whether you should insist on it or you can do without it on a sale and purchase agreement of a specific business. You're starting to apply a business acumen to the technical knowledge that you have. At that level, you're also probably answering the questions that I set uh, to begin with, such as, should you run your practice as a decentralised organisation or as a centralised organisation? And are you doing the proper thing in developing careers and so on of, of your lawyers? At that level, you can be a general counsel, you can be a partner in a law firm, and for very, very many people, that's the peak of their particular pyramid. I think that's unfortunate, because at that level, you're putting yourself in a position where you're feeling stress, you're not close to the decision-making, it's not a great deal of job satisfaction, and you haven't moved to a level where you can really look forward to going into work in the morning, where you really feel valued, for a little bit more effort and a little bit more focus, most people can take further steps up the business pyramid. The next step is moving to being a trusted business advisor. You're brought in early on deals, your counsel is valued on key business decisions, you're part of the team. And at that level, job satisfaction is good, but it can get better, and this is what I think truly great general counsel managed to do. And what they managed to do is not just be trusted business advisors to the business, but they become trusted personal advisors to as many people in the organisation, whether senior or junior, as is possible. And as a personal advisor, people will discuss with you their retirement plans, succession issues, boardroom disputes speak to you about what advisors to use what positions are weak within the organization and generally regard you as a, a key sounding board for everything that happens and you shouldn't just focus that on the chief executive you should focus that on the whole range of people you come across you should hope that junior people come and talk to you about their career plans you should hope that middle ranking people come and talk to you about their worries you should become a sounding board and a source of advice to as many people as you can cope with. That will give you not only massive job security, not only great rewards, but also enormous job satisfaction, reduction in stress and a significantly enhanced feeling of self-worth. So the big question is, how do you get there? Now that's a big topic and I won't go through it all, but let me just give some thoughts that I've got on it. There is an aphorism that lawyers are chosen, and this is particularly applied to external lawyers, on the basis of availability, affability, affordability, and finally ability, and it's in that order. And there is anecdotal evidence that rather bears that out, in that when I look at my partners at Slaughter and May, I don't think that the level of the ability of partners correlates with their ability to build a practice some extremely able partners have smaller practices than some less able partners do and it's borne out by a harvard business review study which looked at whether people worked with people they liked or people they thought were good but difficult and when asked the question everyone said we work with the difficult person who's good but empirically that wasn't true the study showed that you worked with people you liked. Being good at your job is not enough. It's nowhere near enough. So, in terms of affability, I think you need to work on not just being a, a jolly chap or chapess, it also means no politics. Absolutely essential that you behave impartially. It, it probably means that you shouldn't be on the board. Because on the board, you have to take a position. Although Michael Lester was on the board of BAE Systems and before that, and managed. But I think it's more difficult these days. And that's
0: quite an interesting one, because that's probably one of the most contentious issues to our audience listening to this. Because, of course, a number would, would aspire, clearly becoming the, the, the personal advisor, but then to the point where they are on the board. If you want to go on the board, you should be
1: going on the board, not as general counsel you should be going on in some other capacity. But I think if you want to be general counsel, you are an advisor to everyone on that board, as well as the board itself. And then I don't see how you can be a principal and an advisor. So you need to change your role. And that's fine. A career progression can take you to other areas where you could move forward. But I think it's very difficult to see it as general counsel. Also, these days, there is a tendency to have smaller executive teams and the likelihood of general counsel going on the boards is much, much less than it used to be. So sticking with affability, it means total confidentiality, no boasting that the CEO has been talking to you about something, no tales of any sort. People won't trust you unless you are discreet, absolutely and completely. It means having no personal position. I think that Most people would say that investment bankers are less relied upon for their advice these days because they have success fees at stake. In other words, they're selling an outcome. You, as general counsel, should never get yourself into that position. You shouldn't have an empire or a position of that sort. So, for example, if the CEO wants to cut the legal department in half, you need to advise him of the legal consequences of it and then implement what he's asked you to do. After all, he's running the company, you're not. You're not taking a personal position, you're not defending a fiefdom, you're helping him run the business as best you can. It means you remove and not create stress. You get on with everyone. You become the confidant of everyone. You help to find middle ground. You do this through loyalty to the team, absolute discretion and no personal agenda. Now, I moved first to affability, although I said that availability is most important. I think in the case of uh, external lawyers, availability may come first. I think in the case of internal lawyers, possibly affability, using that term more loosely, comes first, because availability is obvious. That is, you have to be available 24-7. But it also means more than that. Availability doesn't just mean working long hours. It means focusing on what matters to your client, that is the business, and not what matters to you. It involves listening to them, listening to what they really want. You, know, you can pretend to listen, as many of us do, to conference calls or even podcasts. You can have selective listening. You can assume you know what he's going to say and you just tune out and hear the words go by you, knowing what's coming. Or even better... You can concentrate on the words and make sure you understand them, but nothing more. What you've got to do is empathetic listening, where you hear not only what is being said, but what is not being said. And it's really important to understand what people's anxieties are, even if they're not able to express them. And to do that, you've got to listen really carefully and be sympathetic to the person you're listening to. To spend the time being the confidant of people, it is important that you don't do things that you shouldn't be doing. And it's very easy to make yourself busy doing things which you should not do. If someone else in the organisation can do something adequately, you should not be doing it. Delegation is important. Delegation is the big challenge. It is absolutely Also, it goes with the perfectionism of lawyers. I can do it perfectly, therefore I have to do it. And I'm sufficiently insecure that I feel that if I get someone else to do it, I might lose my job, because if they can do it, then what am I doing here? It's necessary to make the jump to seeing your job is the the confidant, the advisor, and you have to free yourself up. If I take Michael Lester as an example, Michael Lester would always involve other lawyers in the team, and he would know what was going on, he would stay available to meet the needs of the executive team and to manage the process, but he would let
0: the legal team do a lot. Yes, and I think the key thing there is to to allow other people to take charge, give them their head. It is. You should
1: have sufficient self-confidence that you've made yourself indispensable through becoming everyone's personal advisor, But you're not threatened by the fact that someone else is doing well in your team. and Indeed, you should be pleased about that because it's taking the load off you and enabling you to do your job. Exactly. And of course, with that, then you can build great teams. And it's quite interesting because I think I'm right in saying, Nick, again, that the salary differential between a general counsel and a deputy general counsel is larger than the gap between a head of department and second head of department in almost any other business division. And that, I think, yeah. reflects the insecurity of general counsel in a way, that they don't like seeing someone who is strong, yeah. uh, too strong with them. And I think that's a mistake. And, of course, we're not just here talking about delegation to other legal staff. Make sure that your secretary, your assistant and others take as much of the strain as possible. Again, give her the authority to make the decisions on your behalf. And if you blame someone when you've done that because they make a mistake, they won't take the responsibility again and you'll be stuck with it. So encouraging delegation. And another thing is distinguishing what is important from what is urgent. It's possible to spend your time dashing from one urgent issue to another issue. Urgent and important are very different. What you should be focusing on are things which really make a difference not things which just hit the top of your desk with a loud bang. There's a story about Sigmund Warburg, who was rung up and uh, told that he had to come out of a meeting that it was important. And he sent back the message, is it important to you or important to me? And the fact that some supplier regards something as urgent and important doesn't mean to say that you as the customer need to regard it as urgent and important. You should, of course, be polite about it, but you should set your own agenda
0: and manage your own timetable. I meet a lot of in-house lawyers advancing their careers, and, and they permanently talk about a full in tray, and, and of course the emails that are coming from all angles in the business. And, and, and of course that puts them in the catch-22, because it doesn't give them the time to think about the, the really important issues. And it is, make. absolutely.
1: Are you like a hamster in a cage which gets up in the morning, unthinkingly staggers onto your wheel, runs as fast as you can until it's time to go home, Staggers home and goes to bed, only to go in and get on the wheel the next morning? Or are you actually thinking about whether the wheel's the right place to be? So many people say, I'm absolutely snowed under, but are they doing the right thing? In many cases they're not. The ones
0: who can see that become the the great general counsel. From my perspective, during the course of the year I'll speak to a number of general counsel. And there are those who just exude an incredibly calm aura. And one way or another, the the call gets returned pretty quickly, turning up on time for for the meeting. You just get a sense of, you know, they have got their day ordered. and They know where they're focusing.
1: Now, the other two factors were affordability, which doesn't really arise in in the case of in-house, and ability. And I think ability is probably for another day. But uh, I think it is important to say that You're there because you're a lawyer, first and foremost, and you have to remain a good lawyer. So business focus and becoming a confidant does not replace being technically competent. So the sine qua non has to be technical competence, but you need to build on it, that personal relationship, that business
0: skill and judgment, and make sure you free up your time so that you can apply yourself to those. Nigel, thank you very much indeed fascinating insights and very much appreciate you sharing them with us it's been a pleasure